Hello and welcome to the Immigrant Incorporate podcast. My guest today is originally from Israel and is now back in Israel. Her name is Limor Begman Gross. Limor has worked in the tech industry for over 20 years as a software engineer, engineering manager, and director of engineering. She knows firsthand what it's like being a woman in a male-dominated field. After spending nine years living in the United States as an immigrant, she returned to her home country and decided to focus on her passion for supporting women's career growth in tech. She has mentored women for over four years and created a mentorship program for women with power to fly. She consults with companies that want to build mentorship programs or build a complete mentorship on the company's needs. When she moved to the U.S. in 2010, she had to find a new job in a new country without knowing anyone. She shares a lot of insights from her experiences and some of the tools that she used to navigate life in the United States as an immigrant. Enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Immigrant Incorporate podcast. On this podcast, you will learn from lived experiences how to thrive in the corporate workplace as an immigrant. My name is Lola Adeyemo. I am the CEO of EQI Mindset and the founder of the nonprofit Immigrant Incorporate Inc. I work with organizations to build inclusive workplaces. On this podcast, I will be amplifying immigrant voices from within corporate organizations through solo episodes as well as guest interviews. It is a global world of work, and I'm very sure you can learn a thing or two from my guests who are originally from different parts of the world and their experiences working in the corporate workplace. Hello and welcome to the Immigrant in Corporate podcast. I'm Lola and I'm excited to have Limor with me this morning. Thank you for being here, Limor. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Lola, for having me. I'm excited to dive in. Yeah. So let's go right in. I want to meet you. My audience wants to meet you. Tell us a little more about you, where you are right now, and um, take us back to your immigrant story. Yeah, sure. So, hi everyone. My name is Limor Bergman-Gross. I currently reside in Israel, which is actually my home country. Uh, but I used to live in the U.S. That's kind of where the immigrant story will come from. And I'm a coach and mentor for women in tech. My passion is supporting women in the tech industry, helping them thrive and get to the next level in their careers. And in my background, I come from a very tech background. I used to be a software engineer, then grew to leadership positions. And that's what I did for the most part uh, during the nine years I lived in the U.S. I was managing engineering organizations. Wow. Yeah. Techie. Techie. Techie stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Field, techie stuff. And, and that's another conversation that we'll probably get into because there's not a lot of diversity in that space. Yes, too. that's true. Yeah, <laughs> but kudos to you. So were you raised in Israel? Were you born and raised in Israel? Yes, born and raised, yeah. So how did you end up in the United States? Completely by coincidence. Um, my Actually, my husband employer, his manager, really wanted him to move to Denver, Colorado, um, to manage a local support team there and to build a support organization. 
And that's how we ended up in Denver, Colorado. I actually initially was, didn't want to move because I was pregnant with twins. I have four children. The twins are my two young ones. But after I delivered them, I was more at ease with the... Congratulations. You know. Two at the time. Yes. <laughs> Far away from home too, right? Yes, yes. So after I delivered the babies, uh, we had four kids and we still have four kids and we... We moved to the U.S. with the four very small children. Wow. Okay. Another aspect. Parenting while having a career yeah. <laughs> in the U.S. That's a different topic entirely. So that's interesting because that means you actually moved as an adult, as a, a worker, somebody who already had experience in the corporate workplace. So you you definitely have a good insight into transitioning to my next stage, which is entry into corporate at home and in a new country. You have a basis for comparison. What was that like compared to with working in corporate in Israel and working in corporate America? I think, first of all, it was very intimidating to, far, to find the first job. Had a lot of self-doubts and I felt very afraid of interviews and all that. And um, it didn't take me, to be honest, too too long to find a job. It took several months, but it was very, it was very emotional roller coaster at that time, you know. Uh, and I had some challenges about like the visa and what kind of visa you have, and some companies didn't want to mess with that, like they want because they know H one B and they know green card, and you know they didn't know the type of visa I had. Uh, and some companies were worried about me managing people in the U.S., not knowing the local laws and all that. So it was kind of weird at the beginning. I ha- just had to get the first job. That was the challenge. After that, everything just started flowing. So I guess like like for people who are moving, like getting the first job is the biggest hurdle typically. And then from then on, once you start building your network and building credibility, it gets easier. Yeah. No, that for sure. Because especially since you, you moved and then you started looking, it wasn't like you had an employer-sponsored visa uh, to bring you over. So we had a visa for my husband's employer, but so I did have a working visa, but I didn't have a job. Not, okay. Okay. So you didn't have a job. Okay. What, um, was there any resources that helped like in terms of applying so I started applying to jobs. It was uh, not successful, to say the least, um, because no one no one responded to my automatic like upload of resume and all that. And uh, what I did is was uh, working on my LinkedIn profile and uh, improving it. I listened to a lot of webinars, read everything I could about LinkedIn, about how to build a profile, and I also started to doing outreach to local recruiters and meeting with them. Again, back then it was 2010, end of 2010, beginning of 2011. Like it was still, you know, more local. Companies hired for people that are local typically and um, more on-site kind of jobs. So the local connection was meaningful, like knowing people in the area that can connect me to jobs. So that those are the two main things I did, networking with local people and and learning and, and improving my LinkedIn profile. Those are, yeah, those are two pretty big ones. I, I think it's still applicable now. You know, the LinkedIn, the connection, um, 
definitely very applicable. Yeah, I think what is different now is connections, networking is always important, but today things have changed and not necessarily you have to network just with people that live close to you. You can network virtually because a lot of jobs, I mean, are either remote or, you know, there are different opportunities that that there were before. Yeah, I think we definitely expanded our view of, of what networking is. Yeah, we didn't think networking, virtual was networking. <laughs> yeah. An event, especially when you have kids. It's hard yeah. to attend yeah. a networking event. Um, but you're right. Um, I think I've met a lot of people through LinkedIn as well that we end up connecting and then providing relationship. Yeah, uh, very helpful. I know different countries have different perspectives on, on LinkedIn. Do you, do you, what do you think about LinkedIn? Do you think it's still heavily U.S.-based or in Israel? Do, do people I use think it? it's worldwide. It's definitely not just U.S.-based. In Israel, it's also a very powerful tool. And in other countries as well, definitely it's not just U.S. I think it depends more on the industry than the country, to be honest with you, because I don't, I'm coming from the tech industry. Obviously, their LinkedIn is very dominant. I don't know about other industries, like education, for example. I, I don't know, like, if someone is looking for a job in education, I don't know if LinkedIn is the tool for them. That I don't know. So there are different fields, like, I don't know, hospitality or um, healthcare. Like, if you're a practitioner, I don't know if LinkedIn is the tool that is used for those market sectors. Maybe. I, I, I'm just not coming from there, so I'm not sure. No, but that's that's something worth looking into because now I'm curious about that because I also have a STEM background and I do see a lot more people use, you know, in the science, technical, uh, IT space, I see a lot of people use LinkedIn, but I would be curious to also find out if, you know, completely different industries also use it. Uh, so another question I wanted to ask you. So this is... You worked in Israel and then you worked in the U.S. What did you think about the culture after you got started? What were there? Yeah, and, and and take into account that things have changed and also the culture different is different than in different companies. But the, I think the main difference I noticed back then when I started working, I, I started working at a company that was relatively old school, meaning that it was relatively like people that worked there a lot of a long time like office space, like you see in the movies, right? Like office space, um, you know, very old school. And I noticed several things that are different. First of all, people came to work very early and left early. So typically people will come eight, eight-ish, maybe nine at the latest, but around eight and leave no later than five. And I know that not all companies are like that. It also depends on the on the area. Um, but in Israel, no one came to uh, the office before nine, even 10 or 11 when oh, really? I used to work. Yeah. People used to come very late and leave late. And leave late. Huh. Yeah. And another thing that was different is that people came to work in order to work. So there was not a lot of social interaction. And where I came from in Israel, like the office space was, you know, there were a lot of interactions happening. People went for coffee, for lunch, you know, did a lot of interaction. And I, I noticed that it was much less uh, in, in the first company I worked at. People just brought their lunch and they sat next to their desk to do their job and go home. Is that they in Israel? 
in, in the US. Again, mm-hmm. it was in the first job that I had. Not all the companies are the same, but but right. I noticed some commonality. People came to work. Socializing was not like very prominent there. And it's not that people didn't talk to each other, but they came mainly to work. And a lot of times just brought their lunch, sat next to their desk and went home. And in Israel, the social interaction was was much more dominant. Like we went for lunch breaks, sometimes very long. I mean, I'm not saying it's better. I'm just saying it's different. Sometimes very long lunch breaks that eventually like cause us to stay at work until much later. And the U.S. and other people come to work in order to work. They have, they had a much clearer separation between work and life. And people they work with, it's colleagues like they didn't spend much time with them other than just doing the work. That was the major difference I noticed when I started. Yeah, and I think you made a good comment, right? Like, I don't know what is which is bad or good, right? Because yeah. I think, you know, in the U.S., there's not a clear separation, but the sometimes people overwork because we are trying to keep it clear or maybe we are trying to keep it clear like my home is my home i don't socialize with you outside work but then i think this is why part of why we have all the talk about mental health now right because you you are one person you can't really separate all of these things if things are going on with your personal life you know it's going to impact what you're doing so in a way i I kind of think it it might become important (laughs) as we talk about mental health because an environment where people socialize and take long breaks as needed and still get their work done, sometimes it's more balancing, right? Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. So yeah, I'm not saying that as something is positive, something is negative. It was just different. And, and as I said, it's different from depending where you live in the U.S. and also that's depending on the company. Like, for yeah. example, I worked, uh, not the first company I worked at, but another company, I was traveling quite a bit and a lot of the travel was to California, to the Bay Area, when there's a lot of traffic and people show up at work much later during the day and left later just because of the traffic. Again, nowadays it may be completely different because people don't commute as much and they stay and work from home. Right. But there are differences even within the U.S. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, geography is definitely important, even... Even other cultures, even communication style, even, you know, styles of leading. Um, I think within the same country, we can definitely have um, variations. So is there um, is there anything else you noticed? Uh, again, you were in a leadership role, right? So you did have a team in the U.S. Yes, yes. Was there any difference in, in terms of the styles you had to employ with, you know, American employees versus Israel, maybe, behaviors at work? Um, I think this is gross generalization, but in Israel, people are much more direct. So I could be very direct with people that I manage in Israel and tell them just without a lot of filters, like, you're wrong or something. Like, right, if, if people disagree in Israel, they just say it. You're wrong. I disagree. In the U.S., I didn't feel very comfortable doing that, both because I felt like I'm... I'm kind of new, right? I mean, I'm a foreigner. And also because I felt like maybe people were not able to get that kind of message that is so direct. So I had to use other strategies and, and have a discussion and try to ask questions instead of say, just saying you're wrong or 
or that I disagree or whatever? I mean, I feel like those are two important things, right? The perspective. Did you think you had more concerns because you're new and you're trying to get comfortable there? Or do you think people get offended more or the style of feedback is just different? I think it was a combination. At the beginning, yeah, I felt I was new. Uh, I wasn't sure, you know, how I'm supposed to give uh, my opinion, to kind of uh, share my opinion. And also it takes time. It takes time to build a relationship with people and each person is different. Some people, actually, I found a direct feedback works very well with them and they appreciated my direct approach. Some people, it doesn't work that well and you need to be more subtle. So it really depends. Yeah, it could be an advantage. It could be, again, maybe part of the country, <laughs> part of the country where you are too. Um, yeah, and I think that in general, you know, and that's my kind of... Um, uh, approach is to customize my approach to the people I work with. I mean, there is no one solution for everyone. It really depends who you work with. You need to identify how they work and their personality and, and try to speak their, their language, meaning not the English or other language, but in, in the way you communicate to try to communicate in a way that they can absorb that works for them. So there's definitely, there's definitely a learning curve that is needed if you are starting in a new country, in a new place, um, what yeah. are some of the tools and um, resources that you think helped you in that adjustment? Because I think, you know, onboarding to a new job, leading in a new job, in a new country, were there certain tools? Did you have uh, people around you to help you? or how did you? Uh, to be honest, the first job, I didn't have much help. Because my manager was very busy, and after a while, he relocated to another country. So he, w- I was working with him, you know, remote. Uh, but I actually relied on the HR business partner quite a bit because I had certain situations I had to navigate that I wasn't sure what I'm allowed to do, what I'm not allowed to do. So the HR business partner really helped. I think this is part of where we talk about training to cross-cultural training for for leaders, for hiring managers, for things like that, because there is a lot of nuances to working, leading people and managing people, and um, we have to be aware. How was your team? Did you have a culturally diverse team or pretty homogeneous? Or your teams? Depending on the company, again, depending really on the company. Mm -hmm. The first company I worked, it was not very diverse was very, very similar people in the same area, you know. Also in the second company, I would say even more so, like people who used to live in the same area, stay in the same job. It was very much alike. They're very similar. Um, But on the third company I worked at, and I worked fully remote, there were people from all over the world and definitely all over the U.S., and it was much more diverse. Yeah, I think definitely different experiences. I mean, it's it's all a global world of work now. There's <laughs> there's people from everywhere. There's manager. I remember the first time I had a remote manager. I was so stressed out. I was like, how is that even going to work? You don't live here. How am I going to report to you? Now it's all so normal. <laughs> yeah, I was stressed out too. You know, when I started, I started working remote at 2016, beginning of 2016. And I was at first stressed out. How am I going to manage a team when I not meet with them and I don't see them and uh, it worked it worked sometimes it takes more effort and more time but it's definitely doable and you see that it's now 
kind of the norm. It's now not the norm, right? We were yeah. all to learn how to yeah. <laughs> walk across the digital divide. We talked about some of the resources, the people that you had around you. Um, so, so if you were talking to somebody who is coming from Israel with the kind of experience that you had, um, how will you summarize an advice or the advice that you will give them right now? Maybe similar background first, you know, have work experience coming from Israel, you're coming to the U.S. What are some of the things you would really emphasize for them? I mean, I think network, network, network is very, very important. Now maybe more virtual than, than physical, but also face-to-face and combine both networking and just being open-minded to different way of communication and different way of work. Uh, as today, everything is much more diverse than it used to be and you need to be able to work with different people and that are different from you. I think it's an essential skill set now. So I um, I had some interviews with immigrants in, in corporate America a couple of weeks ago for my book, Thriving in Intersectionality. And one of the things was that I asked them that a lot of people had not thought about is, you know, we're, we're used to talking about the barriers as an immigrant, you know, like some of the things that taught me. But people actually being forced to think about the strengths what do you think was helpful for you because you are an immigrant? How do you think it, that made it easy for you to uh, to do your job? or to... Yeah, and I think, first of all, I didn't think, maybe at the beginning when I was looking for a job, I had uh, some confidence issues, but, but throughout my career, I never felt that that was something that is a, a limitation or a barrier or whatever. I actually felt much stronger. Because I felt I'm brave, you know, I moved countries, I have a broader perspective. I worked with different people all over the world. I traveled, you know, I bring a broad perspective. And and I felt like I have a much, much broader view than not saying everyone. Because, again, the world is global, there are different people. But with definitely when I reached organizations that people came from a very specific area where they lived all the time, you know, I felt like I'm bringing a broader perspective. Right, right. No, and that's the way I see it too. But I think experience, I think your perspective also comes from experience. I think it's easier to see that if you have more years of work experience. I think a lot of, um, because for me, I came into the US at 25. I had maybe two years of work experience. And so it was straight from, college as an international student to corporate America. And I think, you know, maybe setting the right expectation is also helpful and and finding people like you and listening to conversations like these, which is my goal is yeah, be patient. You know, there is a lot of advantage that we bring when we come from a different country and you're doing your work. You know, we have to not focus on any barriers that is maybe existent at the beginning um, especially at the point of entry. I think there's just a lot of patience and, and networking that is needed. Yeah, and I think that even if you're a, a, an immigrant with not so much work experience, you still have life experience that you gathered uh, until this point. You have a different perspective, which is valuable. It is valuable for organizations to have people from different backgrounds. So tell me about your transition back. So you did move back to Israel. Um, yeah. Is that just 
personal choice, personal reasons? Uh, mostly, yeah, personal choice. We decided to go back to spend uh, time with our families. And also, you know, we're not sure about the future and, and how, how are we going to live in the U.S. when the kids are going to get out of the house and go to college. It frightened us that people, you know, the kids will go, everyone to a different uh, state and we'll see them twice a year. Israel, it's not the same lifestyle. You see your family all the time, whether you like it or not. <laughs> so, Tell me about that. So when you go to college, what happens it's a very small country so you can't really go that far so even if you go to school which is not next to your home in a matter of few hours you can drive i mean so you can't go really far and you see your family if not every week then every few weeks but still and the u.s it's such a big country so people just move across the country and they don't see their families much. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you think you have a lot of, um, in terms of families getting together, there are lots of holidays where people like get together and celebrate together? Yeah, I think, and again, I'm, it's generalization, and I'm not saying that people in the U.S. don't celebrate holidays with their family because they do. Uh, it just, everything is more stickier just because it's a limited space and, People live relatively close to each other. Okay. It kind of, you know, provides the opportunities for people to meet more often. We're in the U.S. because it's a big country, and sometimes people move. Also, not everyone moves, right? There are some people, like in Colorado, I met people that were born and raised in Colorado and stayed there. A lot of people like that state, and they like Denver, and they stay there. So it's not like everyone. But you see that more often than not, that people move because of school, because of work. And then they're forced to see their family less frequently. Yeah, yeah. I think there's all, yes, there's definitely a cultural aspect of things. You know, the expectations and the societal pressure. And yeah, it's a different world. <laughs> so I, I, I hear you. So tell me a little more about what you currently do. So are you out of the corporate workplace now? You have your own business or? Have my own business. I decided that moving countries is not big enough change. I should move. I should change my career too. At least this time you moved back home. So I might as well just make the shift. Yeah. So I decided to leave the corporate world and, and leave the career path I was on. Because I felt a strong passion to support other women. I started mentoring women in 2017, and, and I uh, really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the impact I'm able to, to make. And I decided that that's what I wanted to do. So you started so, mentoring while you were in corporates. Yes, I, I mentored uh, um, externally different people. I still do that a lot. started coaching. I learned coaching. I started coaching people. And I also consult. Did you have uh, mentors that, that helped you? How did you get into mentoring and coaching? It's a great question. So uh, to mentoring, I got completely coincidentally. A company approached me and asked me if uh, I'm willing to mentor other engineering managers. And I said, yeah, sure. You know, it's, it, it sounds like a good experience. I said, why not if I can help? So I started doing that. And then I, I found out that I really enjoy it. And also the feedback I got was so positive. I said, okay, I'm actually making a huge impact here. Yeah. So that's kind of led me to think that I want to do more of it and do it more as a job rather than, than like 
a side hobby. Uh, and then I started coaching just because I wanted the certification and I wanted the tools because mentoring just came to me like naturally because I was leading people and I knew how to work with people, but I wanted to also do it more um, methodically and, and, and get the tools. And I started also, things happen, right? I started consulting to companies. I started running workshops. So I do multiple things and I really enjoy the diversity of things that they do, that they don't have to do one thing. It changes and there's a lot of dynamics. Yeah. So so related to what you do now, um, do you have a lot of, I guess, your mentoring, your coaching, even while you incorporate, I, I wouldn't say that's real tied to, you know, immigrants or underrepresented, but do you have any insights to maybe seeing the perspective of immigrants using these tools? Yeah, so I'm actually really passionate about supporting women. Okay. And, and in general, underrepresented people, talent, right? I mean, uh, but my passion specifically is more about women and more specifically about women in tech. Okay. And even more specifically, women in tech in, in technical roles. You're just narrowing, narrowing your pool. Uh, I, I narrow because I think that's my sweet spot. That's where I bring the most value. Just because I've done that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, we don't have a lot of women in tech. We don't have a lot of women engineering leaders. Yes, right? yes. It's a different thing for our engineering, but the leadership in that space as well. Yeah, so it's not that I work only with women in engineering. I work with founders. I work with women in other sectors. I work with men too. But I feel like that's where I bring the most value. Well, thank you for the work you have done and that you continue to do. I have a question about language. So yeah. how many languages do you speak? I speak two. I wish I, I, did, I knew more. I know a little bit of French, but just enough to kind of uh, some get by very basically. Okay. Is that, what's, the, what's the primary language in Israel? Is it Hebrew. Hebrew. Okay. Yeah. Do you speak Hebrew? Yes, of course. Speak so, Hebrew and English. We're talking about three, because you just talked about Hebrew, English. And and I said I I know a little bit of French, but I wouldn't say that I speak French. Oh, just oh. know a little bit, just something basic. Oh, okay, maybe maybe that's similar to because I grew up in Nigeria and we were surrounded by French speaking countries all around. So French is like the way Spanish is taught in the U.S. Ah, okay. French is you know like a secondary language. So I learned enough in elementary school, um, but yeah. So what is, um, so Hebrew, is that the primary language in Israel? Yes. I guess yes. I'm thinking where is Farsi? We also have Arabic. I mean, there are people that speak Arabic as the primary language. So um, is education in English? Was your education in English? Hebrew. Hebrew. It was in Hebrew, yeah. So when did you learn English? I learned in school, although oh. I must say that in, unfortunately in Israel, they focus too much on grammar and less on vocabulary and conversational English. So I think that my English, I got, I got some basics from school, but most of it was just because I worked with people all over the world. And also, obviously, I, I lived in the U.S. for nine years. But even before that, I was working a lot in English. I was writing in English, everything, right? All the technical papers, all the emails, everything was done in English. So that's what helped me improve. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, is there anything you'd like to add before I go to my final fun question? <laughs> no, I mean, I uh, really enjoyed the conversation with you, Lola. Thank you. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you for following your passion. Yeah. And I, I think you just showed from example that we can do what we want to do, you know, making the move, deciding to make the move back, leaving corporates to follow what you're after. I mean, I think it speaks a lot to your personality, but... <laughs> <laughs> So a lot that we can learn from that. And I know my audience will enjoy um, hearing your perspective. So let's talk about food, my favorite topic. <laughs> so I'd like to end with a final question. If you were to share a dish with your co-workers from your home country in, you know, your co-workers in the U.S. <laughs> from your home country, what would that dish be and why? Yeah, so I have some stories around it, okay. if I may. One story is about an offsite I did with a, a, with one of my teams, and we went to a beautiful cabin in Colorado, and we spent the night there. And I decided to cook breakfast for everyone. I mean, we cooked it together, but I kind of led <laughs> the whole thing. And I made a dish called shakshuka. So shakshuka is a, basically like a tomato sauce, and you... And you just cook eggs in it and you eat the eggs and kind of with the bread you dip in the sauce. So this is one dish I, uh, I made for the team. We kind of made it together, but I led the whole operation. And they kept reminding me all the time, even years later. I mean, I, when sometimes I, I talk or meet with people that I don't work with anymore, but we meet and they say, oh, we remember this shakshuka that you made. So it was a memory. I don't know if so much because of the taste or just because of the process and what we're, yeah. you know, doing together. Oh, that is so good. And another story I have is uh, in the first work place I worked, they had this uh, tradition to bring donuts every week. So every week someone brought donuts and I don't like donuts, to be honest with you. I just don't like it. I don't know. Something around the, the taste of the dough. I, I don't like it. And they're always saying, oh, this place is good for donuts. This place is there like, <laughs> you know, arguing about which place is best. And then we had a Jewish holiday called Hanukkah, Hanukkah, which is usually around December, yeah. around Christmas. And in Hanukkah, we eat donuts, but it's a different kind of donuts. And it's a, it's like a full round donut without a hole. And inside you put different things. The tradition is jelly, like uh, strawberry jelly. And I found a woman that it was not easy to find because it's either created yourself or just, you know, there are not so many options in the US to get it. And I found a woman that was making them fresh uh, herself and I brought a box of Israeli Hanukkah donuts. Oh, and wow. everyone were like, oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> so yeah, you see, this is donuts, not what you eat. <laughs> I love that. And I think there's a lot in, in, you know, sharing of food, sharing of culture, not having to just suck it up and eat what everybody eats because that's what they eat. <laughs> I, I I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I, yeah. I think two important experiences and story because there's beauty in making it together. You're creating memories that you're never going to forget. Yeah. yeah. You know? 
and yeah, I think it goes beyond just the taste. I think it's the fact that you led it and everybody made it together. And then everybody brings donuts. Okay, how about find some way to introduce them to my culture and also tell them what I like? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for all you're doing. I'm looking forward to sharing your social handles so people can follow you. And um, maybe there are those that are interested in pursuing a similar part or working yeah, sure. with you and, and would love to connect. Thank you absolutely. so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Lola. Thank you for joining me, Lola Adeyemo, as always, for these important conversations on the corporate world of work from the immigrant perspective. For more resources and upcoming events, please visit our website, www.immigrantsincorporate.org. You can also follow us on Instagram at Immigrants Incorporate. If you are on LinkedIn, please join the group Thriving in Intersectionality Immigrants Incorporate America. There will be a new episode every week, so make sure you are subscribed to get notified. Please leave us a rating, leave a review, and I hope to see you next time. Thank you.